Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Broadcasting across the United States, Canada, and around the world, this is the best of the Bible Answer Man broadcast. Your host for the program is Hank Hanegraaff, president of the Christian Research Institute. We're on the air because life and truth matter. For more information, resources, or to donate to CRI, call 888-7000-CRI or go online to equip.org. That's equip.org. The following program was pre-recorded. To start today's Bible Answer Man broadcast, Here's your host, Hank Hanegraaff. Thank you much, Randy. And we'll go right to our phone caller, Sherry, in El Dorado, Kansas. Hi, Sherry. Hi. Um, thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. Um, I actually, I had a couple of questions that I'm really, really concerned about. Um, the first one concerns Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Um now, this is where Christ is trying to teach his disciples how to pray appropriately. And it says in that prayer, he's, he's praying to God, and it says, lead us not into temptation, as if God would lead us into temptation. And I, and I don't quite understand why that's in there like that, because God doesn't do the tempting. Satan does. Right. Well, let me explain that to you. This is a grammatical construction, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is what I would call an example of a synonymous parallelism. In other words, the first part says virtually the same as the second part. Another way of saying that is these are two ways of of saying the same thing. So to be led into temptation is to be exposed to the onslaught of the evil one. And therefore, the temptation is not the kind of which James speaks in James chapter 1, an inward, internal inclination towards lust, but rather something that's external, an incitement or testing by the evil one or Satan himself. So that's what's going on. But I think there's more to this. I mean, this is beautiful, and it's multi-layered and multifaceted. For example, when you pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, you acknowledge that God is sovereign over all things, including the temptations of the devil. And that's why Augustine rightly referred to the the devil as the ape of God, and Luther called the devil God's devil. So while the enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, at the end of the day, he's a lion on a leash, the length of which is determined by the Lord. Oh, well, then that would explain why he had to go to God to ask permission to attack Job. Well, yeah, and that's exactly right. At the end of the day, that is right. Everything is ultimately under the sovereign control 
of a God who is the God of every single square inch of the universe and is in charge of everything that happens, not only in the angelic realm, but also in the human realm. By the way, whenever we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, we're also reminded to look forward to the day when we will be completely set free from all temptations. And the very fact that Jesus withstood the temptations in the wilderness is our guarantee that one day soon the kingdom will be ours, and the tempter will be thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, and temptations will be no more. We will enter that golden city with divine assurance that nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Back to the phone lines. We'll talk to Doug next. He's listening in Chesterfield, Missouri, KSIV. Hi, Doug. Uh, uh, yeah, I really love the show. And I, I was just wondering, uh, how could God make a plan to reject Jesus? That was part of the plan, to reject him. Well, remember that there are always two sides of a coin. Uh, they had a choice? Absolutely. God so they chose right or wrong? Everyone who rejects Jesus Christ does so because they want to live by the dictates of their own will. And the reason I can say that emphatically is because we have a number of things going on. We have, first of all, the knowledge through creation that there is a God. Secondly, we have the knowledge of God written on the tablet of our consciousness, and if we respond to the outer light and the inner light that I just delineated, we can receive the light of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came into time and space demonstrating that he was God. When people reject him, it is not because they can't believe, it's because they won't believe. And God never forces himself on anyone. So in the end... Well, you're saying the, the plan was for them to choose correctly to reject him. Because if they hadn't rejected him, then he wouldn't have been killed, executed. So they chose correctly? Well, what they did was choose incorrectly because they were called and chosen to be a light unto the nations. But yet, within the context of our sin, God can affect redemption. And let's start at a more basic point in cashing that out, because this already starts in the very beginning. Adam and Eve, they fell into lies of perpetual sin terminated by death, but the reason ultimately is that God created the potential for evil. And he created that potential, he didn't create evil, but the potential for evil because he cared about the human will. If he didn't, he could have created humankind in such a way that they could have only done one thing, and that is to love him. Then we would not have been those who demonstrate the reality of meaningful love, but rather coercive love, which isn't love at all. And so when you get to the redemption story, we have the same thing. We have this motif by which God can take even our bad choices and affect his goodness and his grace. So we cannot say that we chose right by doing bad, but we can say that God can, out of the cauldron of evil, bring about good. 
Well, they were they were slaves to the law, and uh, you know, God, uh, Jesus told them so many times, you know, don't weep for me, weep for yourself. Or like the the one on the cross said, you you rejected God and Jesus, so you get what you deserved. You know, I mean, uh, how clear can it be? He wasn't supposed to be killed, executed. Uh, I mean. It, is that right or wrong? Well, again, I explained that, but I think I should go back and do so more slowly. I think what's important to recognize is that God allows us free to choose to love Him or reject Him, and therefore love is meaningful in the end. There are only two kinds of people, those who say to God, Thy will be done, and those to whom God in the end says, Thy will be done. If you don't want a relationship with me, I will ratify your choice. But then, what I'm pointing out is that out of even the cauldron of wicked choices, God can affect good. So from the fall to the crucifixion, God can work redemption and bring about the best of all possible worlds, a world in which we're forever able not to sin. So can we say, well, they chose right by sinning? No, of course not. But can we say that God can bring good out of evil? Yes, we can. And the Bible is replete with examples. And therefore, I started at the very beginning giving you the most basic of examples and then showing how that is yet true even in the atonement process itself. Okay, well, yeah, I, you know, I completely agree with all of that, but it seems as if we accept the fact that that was the only choice that Jesus came to be crucified. I mean, uh, eventually, everybody has to, you know, believe in Him. So, you know, I guess it wasn't the plan of God to be to come and be crucified. I mean, it was the second choice. Well, it was known in the counsel of God's foreknowledge. From the very beginning, God knew that Jesus Christ was a lamb, slain before the foundations of the world. But the fact that God knew does not mean that God is the causal agent of. We can know things in our past that we didn't cause. So knowing doesn't mean that you're the causal agent of. But again, God can bring bring the best out of the worst circumstances, and that is precisely what he did. The most brutal act in all of human history is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, where you have a truly innocent man dying for the sins of the world, and yet out of this gross, cruel, brutal event, God brings forth the best of all possible worlds, reconciliation between God and those who genuinely want a relationship with Him. And that, of course, will all become a reality when the veil between this world and the next is removed and the habitation of God and our habitation become one and the same. Be right back. You thought only religions have dogmas? Think again. Because wokeism has its dogmas, and these dogmas demand obedience, not merely consent. Obey or be canceled. No dissent allowed. The problem is that woke dogmas are a path straight to civilization hell. Because the dogmas of this social disease are so deadly, we've tackled them head on in an upcoming special edition of the Christian Research Journal. 
The fact that even historically sane institutions are daily falling victim to this pan-dementia demonstrates how deceptively dangerous this mental cancer actually is. To receive your copy of the special woke edition of the Christian Research Journal, visit equip.org. That's equip.org. Or call 888-7000-CRI. That's 888-7000-CRI. Stay with us. Hank Hanegraaff will be back with more right after this. Has God spoken? Are the words of Scripture merely human in origin, or are they in fact the very words of God Himself? Three years in the making and based on two decades of research and reflection, Hank Hanegraaff's monumental book, Has God Spoken?, answers what is surely the most important question facing our world. In Has God Spoken?, memorable proofs of the Bible's divine inspiration, Hank counters the contentions of the Bible attackers and clearly shows that belief in the Holy Scriptures is not a guess or wishful thinking. It is the only logical conclusion after an honest examination of overwhelming evidence. Order Has God Spoken? from the Christian Research Institute by calling 888-7000-CRI or go online to equip.org, equip.org. Anyone who's been paying attention knows there's a war going on, not just on traditional morality, civility, and decency, but even more fundamentally on historic notions of truth. And the enemy isn't just the onslaught of fake news facilitated by a post-truth culture and turbocharged by growing legions of ideological spin doctors. No, the real enemies of truth range from postmodernist convictions that there is no objective truth to militant scientism that claims that only science can determine truth and religion is little more than primitive superstitions. But CRI support team members are not waving a white flag of surrender. They're holding the fort by undergirding every one of Christian Research Institute's mind-shaping and life-changing outreaches 24-7. To learn how you can make a difference and enjoy all the benefits of support team membership, simply visit equip.org. If you're not horrified, you should be, because the relentless assaults of wokeism on sanity and common sense have now reached a fevered pitch. In fact, some astute observers see more than deranged ideologies at work. It's as though the gates of hell have been opened. And alarmingly, the speed of this mindless rush to chaos and potential civilizational collapse is gaining momentum daily. That means Christians need to wake up and wake up fast. One of the best alarm clocks is the special Woke edition of the Christian Research Journal. It contains sobering articles with penetrating analyses of a social disease that is reaching a flashpoint. To receive your copy of this special edition of the Christian Research Journal, visit equip.org. That's equip.org. Or call 888-7000-CRI. That's 888-7000-CRI. Why not drop us a line at CRI today? We'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us several ways. You can call us toll-free at 888-7000-CRI. 
That's 888-7000-CRI. Also write to us at P.O. Box 8500, Charlotte, North Carolina, zip 28271. Or if you're on the internet, look us up at www.equip.org. And now once again, here is Hank Hanegraaff. Thank you, Randy. And let's go right back to our phone callers. Next up is Sandy in Nashville, Tennessee. Hi, Sandy. Hey, um, my mother-in-law recently fell. She's 93. She's um, been not wanting to be here for a number of years and has, you know, spoken us to us about wondering why God hadn't already taken her. She's a Nazarene, has taught Bible um, Sunday school for years, so you know she's a believer, but she's on events, and they're, we're struggling with end of life, and it's like it's up to us because, you know, they say, well, her heart's strong, and and uh, they kept reintubating her, and my problem is how we feel like we want to keep Grandma here, but, you know, and letting her go means we kind of have to make a decision, and then we feel guilty because we're ending someone's life, but she still has... Um, her quality of life would be severe, severely reduced after this. Um, and we're having, I think we're all struggling with not wanting to make an end-of-life decision and not feeling guilty that we're doing something biblically wrong. Yeah. Well, and let me be very clear about this. I'll set out the perspective from a Christian worldview. First of all, the timing in terms of death are the province of God alone. And therefore, a doctor is never permitted to usurp God's prerogative. So hastening death based on subjective judgments concerning quality of life would be a violation of Scripture. Now, let me add to that by saying that passive euthanasia is morally permissible in that it allows the process of dying to run a natural course. But active euthanasia is morally prohibited because it is a direct violation of a prerogative of God alone, as I just delineated. Now, even beyond that, let me say something more, and that is, from a biblical perspective, suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. So suffering for our faith and physical suffering have redemptive qualities. They're they're like a furnace that rids the dross and fashions us more like unto our Lord. And I would say this, that I watched my dad go through something very similar to this. He died in 1997. He was suffocating, literally, uh, which is an agonizing death, particularly for a speaker. He was um, unable to assimilate oxygen. So he had a fibrosing in the lung that encroached on that ability. It was agonizing. And I watched him struggle just trying to get little bits of oxygen assimilated into his body. And, and it was like watching something horrifying as someone suffocating almost day by day. And I remember asking my dad while he was going through this terrible trauma, Dad, wouldn't you just like to go home and be with the Lord? Not that I was thinking about active euthanasia, but I was asking the question, how are you persevering in this? How are you doing? And my dad said to me, 
every moment is precious. And I saw the full outworking of that in some small way when my dad actually did die. Before he took his last agonizing breath, he was able to pray with every one of his children, every one of his grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and blessed them like a Jewish patriarch, and then died. And I thought, wow, every moment was valuable. And our kids remember that to this day. So I think what we have to recognize is that suffering produces perseverance, and that every moment is precious, and that all the days ordained for us are written in his book before one of them came to be. So let's not take the prerogative of God. But passive euthanasia, allowing the dying process to run its course, is okay. Okay, because she's not at the point where she can communicate at all. Um, And, you know... But that doesn't matter. It's not a matter of communication with words. There's a lot more going on. So, again, you don't want to countenance the idea of active euthanasia, where you actually determine, okay, on this day, we're going to make death ensue and life having run its course. Passive euthanasia, again, is allowing the dying process to take place without taking extraordinary means. That's a far different thing from actively killing someone. Uh, That's not our prerogative. That's God's prerogative. Okay. Okay? All right. Something to think about. Thank you very much. You got it. Back to the phone lines. We'll talk to Peggy in Kansas City, Missouri. Hi, Peggy. Hi, Hank. Thanks for taking my call, and I appreciate your ministry. Thank you. Um been a Christian for quite a while and recently spent some time with a friend of mine that um, that voiced being a Christian, and during our conversation, um, she said the church she goes to, they do not believe in hell. And of course, I just started, you know, firing scriptures and giving examples, and she said, well, what does fire do? She said, our church believes that fire is a purification, if you will. Like, if you put pottery in a fire, it, you know, it hardens it, purifies it, and other things take on a different form. And so she said, we believe that everybody will go through the lake of fire, but they will come out on the other side and be with God. And so I said, okay, what you're saying is everyone is going to heaven. And she said, yeah, that's what we believe. But she said, man has come up with the idea of hell that it's really not scriptural. So I wonder if you're familiar with this teaching. I've never heard it in all my years and uh, what you have to about that. Well, yes, I'm very familiar with the teaching, but it's dead wrong. Without eternal separation, the very nature of heaven is polluted. Evil is contagious and must be quarantined. Otherwise, like a deadly plague, it's going to continue to contaminate and corrupt. So if God did not eventually separate the tares from the wheat, the tares would choke out the wheat. The only way to preserve an eternal place of good is to eternally separate all evil from it. The only way to have an eternal heaven is to have an eternal hell. But even beyond that, what a horrifying thought that God would force people into his loving presence for all eternity. That's not what choice is all about. Choice demands that there be a hell. Otherwise, the righteous would inherit a counterfeit heaven, and the unrighteous would be incarcerated in heaven against their will, which is a torment worse than hell. So there are a couple of things I would say. Uh, You know, Christ spoke about hell. He spoke emphatically and clearly about hell. Remember what he said when he was talking about himself and saying that when he comes in his glory, 
he would sit on his throne. All the nations would be gathered before him. He would separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He would put the sheep on his right, goats on his left. And then he would say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So, yes, it's a very clear teaching of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ himself, but it's also a teaching that you have continuously throughout the Gospels. And there's no question whatsoever. Remember what Jesus said to Capernaum, you will be lifted up to the skies. No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. It would be more tolerable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. There is a day of judgment. There is a day of eternal separation. Without choice, love is rendered meaningless. God is not a cosmic rapist who forces his love on people. He's not a cosmic puppeteer who forces people to love him. God, the personification of love, grants freedom of choice. And that freedom provides a very persuasive polemic for the existence of hell. Perfect. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. You got it. I've written about this in my book, Resurrection, on a chapter on hell, because hell seems to have all but disappeared. Western evangelicals live in a post-Christian, human-centered, self-absorbed, feel-good secular culture, said J.I. Packer. And that culture reduces all religion to a private hobby. So the modern passion to find dignity and worth in all religions presses upon us, and our imaginations have been contaminated with the world's disgust at the thought that without Christ, we are but sinners in the hands of an angry God. So annihilationism is gaining ground. Hell's imagery is more common in comic books than church pulpits, and preachers are today dwelling on uplifting themes. So hell seems to have all but disappeared. No one seems to have noticed. But boy, I'll tell you what, if you read the words of Jesus Christ, you do not miss the reality of hell. Don't forget to pray for this ministry. And please, if you can, send us a tax-deductible donation. We need your support, and we need it now. It'll make a difference in the lives of people for time and for eternity. Out of here for today. Look forward to seeing you next time with more of the show. Thanks for tuning in to the Bible Answer Man broadcast. Our website, equip.org, has an abundance of resources to sharpen your discernment skills and help you grow in life and truth. We provide books, videos, and informative articles. You can also listen to the broadcast, download archived programs, get answers to pressing Bible questions, or connect with us via social media. All this and more at equip.org. Again, the address is equip. The Bible Answer Man broadcast is supported by listeners like you. We're on the air because life and truth matter. Has God spoken? Are the words of Scripture merely human in origin, or are they in fact the very words of God Himself? 
three years in the making and based on two decades of research and reflection, Hank Hanegraaff's monumental book, Has God Spoken?, answers what is surely the most important question facing our world. In Has God Spoken? Memorable Proofs of the Bible's Divine Inspiration, Hank counters the contentions of the Bible attackers and clearly shows that belief in the Holy Scriptures is not a guess or wishful thinking. It is the only logical conclusion after an honest examination of overwhelming evidence. Order Has God Spoken? from the Christian Research Institute by calling 888-7000-CRI or go online to equip.org. Equip dot o-r-g